If you would uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, we're going to return there. We're not going to read the entire passage as we have the last couple of weeks. We're simply going to, um, going to do something of review, and we're going to focus on the first half of verse 28 and why it's so important. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Would you please stand with me now as we read the word of God and please remain standing for prayer following unless you have a condition that makes it difficult for you to stand uh, a longer amount of time. Then please feel free to be seated. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is the inspired, infallible, and preserved word of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which... The Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Amen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to his holy word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Holy Father, we know that there is great pleasure at thy right hand. We know that it is Christ in which our souls take great pleasure. May we know him in this assembly today. And I pray that for every true church of Christ O blessed spirit that thou hast planted on the face of this earth. For each one of them that is already worshipped, we pray that they offered up biblical, acceptable worship in Christ to thee. Father, for those that are in our time zone or a little later, Father, we pray that we would know Truly know thy presence, the teaching power, the enlightening power of thy Holy Spirit. We need this. Father, thy sheep are hungry. They want Christ. Feed them the holy manna today. Feed them with Christ. Lord, I pray for those, again, that are lost. How can they go another day rejecting thy love and thy call to everlasting life? God, rescue them. One second in hell. 
would make them realize the horrific decision they made. Father, please, thou art a gracious God. Father, true it is that we know thee to be holy. We know thee to be the judge. We know thee to be the sovereign of the universe. And yet thou hast granted us the privilege through Christ to know thee as sons and daughters, to know thee as our father. Thou art good, thou art gracious, thou art gentle, and yet thou art severe. Our prayer to thee is that thou wouldst draw near in thy humbling love and lift our hearts to thy praise. Father, our culture is hideous, perversion, and no doubt a stench unto thy nostrils and a provocation, a provocation to thy terrible wrath. We are asking for the mighty power of God's spirit to awaken the churches out of their worldly stupor, including us. And Father, may there be a desire, a holy, burning, raging hunger and thirst for holiness and for communion with Christ and love for thee and for one another that comes because we have drawn down thy love in prayer. Father, thy children, thy children are here and they're scattered all across this globe. Meet them today. Meet them. Humble us, reprove us, rebuke us, comfort us, catch our tears. Lord, lift all our hearts to heaven. Give the eyes of our faith a glimpse of the King in his beauty and of Christ in his glory. He is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Now, open our ears. Help us to hear. Help this weak vessel of dust to bring forth the word to thy people. May it be to thy glory, Lord. May it be to their eternal good. In the name of Jesus, I pleaded. Amen. Please be seated.
The infallible scriptures have taught us that God promised through the mouth of Jeremiah, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. God's word has also taught us that God has fulfilled that promise in Jesus Christ, Jesus' apostles, and the pastors of his new covenant flocks. During his earthly ministry, Jesus proclaimed himself the good shepherd. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. That means they hear the word of God and they believe it. And they set their life upon it. They don't just go home to blow out what the word says with the next football game. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. They don't sit and wonder about whether they should serve the Lord. They might wonder how, but not whether. They follow me. Why? Because they hear his voice. As sheep, they hear him. And they take up the cross and follow him. There's no other Christianity. There are a lot of fakes. But this is reality. Following Jesus is a cross-bearing life. And it's under the cross that we have the sweetest communion with Christ and the greatest growth and joy in our souls. His sheep hear him. They're not just having an audible experience. The word goes into their minds and their hearts. They turn that word over. They think about it. There is light. There is understanding. And they follow after the shepherd. That's what Jesus is talking about. And that's what we see worked out in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. And then the calls of the apostles in the letters that they wrote. All four Gospels bear witness that Jesus' ministry focused on preaching and teaching with astonishing authority. Following his death and resurrection, Jesus delegated his authority to the apostles. He said to Peter, feed my sheep. He didn't say feed your sheep. He said, feed mine. Who is that talking to him? The living God come in the flesh. This wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. Feed my sheep. And later he said to all the apostles, as the Father hath sent me. Now the word, as we've said before, the word sent is a word that includes in its meaning the idea of an authoritative sending. Someone who is in authority sends someone else representing his authority. That's what Jesus did. He said, I don't even talk. 
I don't speak anything other than what he teaches me, what he shows me, what he reveals to me. He tells me what I should say and what I should preach. The apostles were granted that weak and feeble group that denied Jesus' resurrection, that denied him in the garden and ran away. He said, I'm sending you like the Father sent me. It's very hard to read those words and grasp the bigness of them. Almighty God, and we have very little views, very low views of God. We don't stand in awe of God. We should. The scriptures actually command us to stand in awe of God. But when this awesome God who has all power, all knowledge, and is all present, he sent Jesus into this world. Jesus says in the same way, I as the God man am sending you weak and feeble vessels. Wow. And then he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, because I have all power, you go into all the world. Go ye and teach all nations. Wait a minute. Other nations have religions. Yes, I know. They're all false gods. Go and preach my kingdom. Because there's only one real king. There's only one real Lord. Go and preach me. I have all power, all authority. And because I do, I can send you to do this. It's my world. I spoke it into existence. I will burn it to a cinder when I'm ready. And I will usher in eternity when I'm ready. Go and tell them I will save them from their sins. If they will repent and believe on me. Teach them, Jesus said, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. As we pointed out last time, that's a very important part of the Great Commission. In those words, whether we realize it or not, Jesus is saying, go and establish churches. That's where God's people are to grow up. Ephesians chapter 4 makes that abundantly clear. It's clear throughout the letters of the, of, of the apostles even when they don't use the words, the very commands themselves demand something. How do you teach all those people that are converted unless you can gather them up and preach and teach the things that Jesus taught? If I can put it this way, the, the church is hiding in that passage, but it's right there in the words. We hear in our day that the Great Commission is simply about going out and preaching the gospel and, quote, getting people saved. That's only part of the picture. And when you make it the whole picture, 
you distort God's truth. We want people converted. We want them to hear the Savior's voice and follow him. They can't do that without a preacher. This is what Paul has plainly said in Romans. There is to be the bringing forth of God's word. We see the apostles working out Christ's commission. <clears throat> we see that authoritative apostolic preaching and teaching throughout the book of Acts. They went boldly and preached Christ and very regularly established churches. Later, as an elder, Peter wrote to fellow elders and he said, feed the flock of God. As Christ had commissioned him to feed the sheep, notice he's now telling the elders of church, of churches, feed the sheep. And in our text, Paul has exhorted the elders of the Ephesian congregation. He's not exhorting other apostles. He's not exhorting just anybody in off the street. He exhorts the elders. He called for the elders. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. Watch yourself. Watch your step. Watch yourselves and watch all the flock. Now, listen carefully to these words. I, I want them to get to where they echo in our hearts and minds. Take heed to yourselves and the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Elders, pastors, bishops, overseers. It's all the same office. We'll take time uh, as we get to the qualifications of an elder. We'll take time. To show plainly from the scriptures, the two words are used synonymously, regularly. You don't have to squeeze or twist something to try to make it work. They're used in the same context sometimes, speaking of the same person. Well, why all those different names? Because each one of the names points out an aspect of the work. Here, with this word... You're seeing both pastoral work, feed the flock. That's pastoral language. That's pastoral imagery. But he says, regarding those people, over the which, over, that's a preposition many of us don't like there. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Pastors according to God's heart. 
are to feed God's flock with God's word by the power of God's spirit. The title of our message then is Faithful Shepherds Feed God's Flock. This is part three. <clears throat> and may our, our Holy Father, He is holy, so holy. May our Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless us with His power and His presence. And may we know the truth, and may it gloriously make us free. Well, in brief review, I know that there are quite a number this morning that may have not been with us or have seen the other messages. And for our own memories, our first main heading was Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders using shepherd imagery. Thus far, we've learned that shepherd imagery appears throughout the Old and New Testaments. The word pastor is applied to both religious leaders and civil magistrates. That helps us to understand the authority and responsibility of a new covenant pastor. It is to care and to rule. It's not one or the other. It is both. And the epistle to the Hebrews says, Remember them which have the rule over you. There's that preposition again. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. It's a completely un-American democratic language. One man, <clears throat> one man, one vote. <clears throat> My thoughts are as good as yours. My ideas are as good as yours. Hey, I think we ought to change it. Hey, let's fix this. Let's know God has spoken. And the elders are to say, this is what God has said. Are they going to do that perfectly? Not in this world. Certainly not from this pulpit. But are they to do so to the best of their ability because they know they will be giving account to the good shepherd? That is to be hoped and prayed for. There aren't any perfect authorities in this world. Pastors, dads and moms, teachers, policemen, governors, may, there aren't any perfect ones. There are some that are good and there are some that are rotten. But every Christian should take into consideration knowing that each of us, even though believers are new creatures, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that ye cannot do that which you would. Well, what would I would today? I would preach perfectly today. That's already shot. <laughs> so, I mean, <clears throat> that's not going to happen. But there are those who are faithful. 
there are those who do everything they can to set forth the word of God and to bind every man's conscience, every woman's conscience, every child's conscience to the word of God. And all have a responsibility to be Berean, to study the scriptures and see if these things be so. As the epistle to the Hebrews says, remember them, remember them, which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word. Likewise, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. It's really interesting to me that having done a lot of work in family reform, I've found a lot of proud patriarchs that demand everybody in their family to jump up this high and not come down till they tell them. But they'll mouth against the pastor every day. How about that for authority? Those that do that ought to be stripped of their authority, but it doesn't work that way in this world. Brethren, authority, as I've said, is the easiest thing for fallen human beings to abuse. <clears throat> Making decisions is never going to be 100%. But it can be better than 5%. Right? We can grow. We can learn. But notice, the word of God does not change. Obey them that have the rule over you. <clears throat> Hebrews is the only letter that actually uses the word rule in <clears throat> connection with the elders or ruler. But it's the same idea as overseer or bishop. A bishop, that simply means an overseer. That's exactly why Paul said to the shepherds of the Ephesian flock, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You're responsible no human being can bear that weight apart from the help of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. <clears throat> Why? Because the, the elders are going to get you? No, because God is going to say, why did you treat my servant that way? And we will consider in a later message the extent of that rule. It's limited because human beings are fallible, just like the authority of a father, of a parent, of a policeman, of a president, of a governor, it is delegated authority. You didn't come into this world with any of God's authority. He delegates it to you and he delegates it to people for one reason. To exalt him. So, we've considered Christ as shepherd, the apostles as shepherds. And the elders and pastors of the new covenant as shepherds. Christ was the perfect one. Everyone else has his failings. As Peter 
is such a lovely example. Number two, Paul, according to God's heart, exhorted the Ephesian elders. Under his heading, under this heading, we pursued a brief exposition of verses 17 through 38. I encourage you to read that passage regularly. It's very helpful when thinking about the labors of an elder. We listened to Paul's heartfelt counsel to the Ephesian shepherds in its context. Paul used his own ministry as an example for their ministries. Now, just stop and think about that. I mean, I know what my flesh (laughs) would react to that. What? You've seen Christ. I haven't. You are a hand-picked disciple. But they heard what he said. They knew they were being given a responsibility that comes from God. And the responsibility was not to set them up as dominating forces, dictatorial, tyrannical forces. But they were to take God's word, feed it to the Lord's people, And when people refuse to walk with the Lord, discipline them. Paul used his own ministry as an example for the shepherds, and he didn't qualify it. It made me feel a little better if he would have. I'm an apostle. I know you guys aren't going to do the same kind of job. He was truly a shepherd after God's own heart. You read this passage carefully. He warned them about future events. The Holy Spirit had told him that imprisonment and afflictions waited. But learn from this, Ephesian elders. I want to finish preaching God's gospel of grace in Jesus Christ with joy, whatever the cost. My life doesn't mean anything to me. That's what a man is signing on to. When he's appointed an elder. If not, he should not pursue that office under any circumstance. He never shrank from preaching and teaching the whole counsel of God. It's so tempting to want to just fudge a little bit when you get to those hard passages. Or just go to all the passages about glory and joy. And not the ones that deal with our sins. Or deal with our disobediences and our lack of love to Christ. Maybe just saying, I long to be like Jesus. Well, how much time do you spend with him? How will you be like Jesus if you don't spend any time with him? I mean, this is just basic. How... How can you say, yeah, I want to be like him when you're not reading the Gospels and seeing how he is and reading the letters and seeing how he is and praying and asking, how do I do this? I don't know how to do this. Lord, help. Longing to be like Jesus should be arising out of a humble heart. That realizes I'm not much like he is. 
Oh, Lord, come and do a work here. Work in this heart. Come to me in, in communion. Come to me as, as I pray. Come and drive away my fears. Let me take my fears, my truckload of fears, and cast them on you. Deal with these things. Help me. Well, if we're not spending any time with him, we probably don't know very well what he wants us to do. How he wants us to be. Well, see, Paul never shrank from telling everybody the good and the severity of God. He did both. There was a balance. And believe me, any pastor can become imbalanced in one or the other. It's all grace, 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 love. No responsibility. It's all responsibility and the sheep choke. I mean, hitting that place where we're constantly being pointed to Christ, but then teaching God's people everything he commanded. It's a challenge. Paul reminded the Ephesian elders that the Holy Spirit had set them over the congregation. He then strongly exhorted them to feed God's blood-bought people. A pastor must be vigilant and protective, and he must warn the sheep when they are in danger. Paul warned of false teachers, some of whom would even arise from the Ephesian congregation. He then commended them to God's grace, warning them of covetousness. He commended the elders to God and the word of his grace. And that's encouraging, isn't it? For every pastor, according to God's heart, must have knowledge of, understanding of, and confidence in God's purpose Christ's work, the Spirit's power, and the Scripture's sufficiency for everything in life. After encouraging a proper attitude toward material things, Paul concluded his stunning farewell speech. He fell to his knees and prayed with them, and they cried, passionately embraced him they kissed him they loved Paul deeply for at the expense of his own life he had fed them with knowledge and understanding of Christ Jesus and his kingdom he had fed them with knowledge and understanding regenerate hearts love those that do that no matter how difficult it is to hear. One of the men I loved the deepest in my life and had among the greatest impacts of living men throughout my decades was Conrad Merle. And I knew when I had things to wrestle through, I would call him because he was going to take dead aim right at my heart and fire. He was going to tell me what he thought. 
And sometimes it would be very encouraging. Sometimes it would feel like I'd just been hit by a big garbage truck. But I profited from both because he told me the truth. He told me things I didn't want to hear. When I wanted a pat on the head, <laughs> he'd go right between the eyes. Who loves you most tells you the truth, not what you want to hear. You'll say, oh, well, I want the truth until it crosses you. We need the truth. We're coming up on a day when God's people had best know how to discern truth and lies. Well, Paul said, take heed to yourselves. <clears throat> it was their responsibility to watch their own spiritual purity, to nurture their own spiritual life for the benefit of God's people. Then he was to watch them and encourage them. <clears throat> That's the way each one of them was to be. He, and, and Paul seals that thing with, he hath purchased with his own blood. It's Jesus's blood-bought property. I can't get over that. I could say that probably in every sermon somewhere. The church is Jesus's blood-bought property. If you don't love it, something's desperately wrong. Because Jesus does. He shed his blood to bring the churches into existence. Not just to save me. Part of my salvation is being turned from my sins and learning how to walk with Jesus. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> we spent some time talking about feeding the flock. And we had to ask the question, what is the flock? And of course, in the context, the flock meant the church, the congregation at Ephesus. That was God's blood-bought people. <clears throat> and they were scattered all around Turkey and, and various places. <sighs> but to help us understand the shepherd's work, we began to examine seven paragraphs from our confession uh, in, in the hopes of compressing the thoughts a little bit. Paragraph 2 of, of chapter 26 gave us the identity and the defined membership of a biblical church. Paragraph 3, the imperfection, but the perpetuity, which means lasting forever, the perpetuity of Christ's churches. He's always going to have a witness in this world. Paragraph 4, Christ is the only head of the church, never the pope. Paragraph 5, how Christ manifests his headship by powerfully and effectually calling sinners to himself by his word and spirit. That isn't just about going to heaven. That's being saved and drawn out of the darkness of this world to walk with and fellowship with, to love God's people and learn how to walk with Jesus faithfully. Jesus calls them out of darkness. It's a miracle. Salvation is a miracle. 
It's not an act of men. There's not a, a switch inside this body that I can flip and go, oh, now I'm going to believe on Jesus. Not going to happen. Left in your natural state, you never will. Oh, you might think about it. I know I should probably do this. I can tell you several of the testimonies I've heard from the young people was, well, you know, I didn't think I need to do anything about it now. I didn't think I need. I thought maybe I could wait. Maybe I, you don't know you have another day. That's not a preacher trick. I'm telling you the fact. Today is the day of salvation. If you have today, Christ is willing to save all those who come to him. Paragraph five, how Christ manifests his headship uh, by drawing them and establishing them in churches. That's what he does. He doesn't just save you and leave you out on the street. When you're converted, there ought to be something within you that wants to find God's people. There should be something of a new homing device in you that says, where are other people that have experienced this? Where are other people that have repented of their sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to know them. I want to know the ones that have walked with the Lord a long time because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah? This is the purpose of a church. For God's people to be educated. One of the great sorrows, and this is going to sound odd to some of you. I know I don't intend it to be purposefully controversial but we have lost the notion of what the local church is that's one of the reasons we've going over these paragraphs <clears throat> the very fact is in in many places today that call themselves churches and some of them will be real churches some of them won't be <clears throat> the whole service will be getting somebody to walk down an aisle and so Every week is just another way of trying to toss out the net and, and get someone to make a decision for Jesus. Sign the card, pray the prayer, do any of these kind of things. So it, it gets to where the people in the congregation just sit there and go, I'm hungry and I don't know why. And by that, I mean, I'm hungry for more food, more word of God. Just get saved, get saved, get saved is not the only message of the Bible. I don't diminish that message. I want in any service for the sinners to repent and to come to Christ. But when you gear it to the decision-making time, you're going to starve a lot of God's hungry children. And that's what we see. Paragraph 6 that we looked at says that the biblical description of membership in each church manifesting itself, listen carefully, <clears throat> the description of membership in each church manifesting itself in obedience to Christ, love for Christ and for one another and submission to Christ in baptism, the Lord's Supper and worship. Now, we return to paragraph 7. That's where we left off, which describes the local church's authoritative power. I mean, in some, in some circles, you can't even say those words without all the red flags going off, all the flashes. Authoritative power. Each congregation 
has sufficient authority from Christ the head. This is what paragraph 7 talks about. To each of these churches thus gathered according to his mind. How could they say according to his mind? They mean what the scriptures teach. Not your good idea. Not my good idea. Not the way I think we ought to just run all these church things. But what his word makes clear. And what we can legitimately derive from the principles. To each of these churches thus gathered according to his mind. His mind declared in his word. He hath given all that power and authority which is in any way needful for their carrying on that order in church. What? He's given all the authority to his church to obey him, to worship him the way he says he ought to be worshipped, to walk day in and day out. I mean, um, this is preaching to the choir here at one point, but I mean, uh, we know plainly the scriptures say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That is not a suggestion. That is a command from the head of the church. And he has given the church the responsibility to preach that and to discipline it. You're not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. You need to examine yourself. By the word. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. It says it plainly. Reverence them. Is that happening in your house? Now, can the best of houses have a husband that does an ungodly and unloving thing? To my knowledge, there aren't any other kind. Can wives be utterly disrespectful and irreverent toward their husband? who happens to be God's appointed head of the house. Well, of course, I, I don't know any other houses. <laughs> I don't know any homes that don't have that occasionally. The issue is when they're Christian homes, when they're regenerate homes, the offenders repent and they ask forgiveness and they get things right. We could go on with numerous subjects. But the point is, why are you here? You should be here to hear from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus, to hear his word and to walk in it. I'm never bothered when someone comes up and says, okay, you know, you said this. Could you explain that to me? I'm, I'm not clear on that or I'm not sure I understood what you were saying. I'm so thrilled. They were listening. They were paying attention. And a mental thing happened. They started thinking, which is exactly what God wants. Your mind should be provoked to think with every sermon that you hear. Not because the preacher is clever. Not because you like his delivery. Not because, oh, you know, it's kind of fun to be around. It's because the word of God has been made real to you through that weak and feeble vessel as the Holy Spirit opens your eyes.
every church has been given everything needed to carry on that order. What order? Christ's order. God is a God of order. Go through Calvin's Institute. For those of you that are brave and bold, work through Calvin's Institutes and see how many times he brings up God's order. Very early in the Institutes, he says, God is a God of order. Look at, look at the glorious universe that he's created. You know, I mean, all the, all the planets would be colliding into each other. That, that's not happening. And sometimes there are explosions out there. Sometimes the Lord sends, you know, a meteor to crack one planet. But if, if he does that, that's all his purpose. We see order. You're sitting here today because your body is still, at least at some level, working orderly. Right? He's a God of order. Jesus is a God of order. And he wants his congregation to be ordered according to his word. There is latitude, but not in central doctrines. There is some latitude. Every church will not look exactly the same, but there will be a sameness that we can recognize. And you say, well, are we going to talk about pastors? (laughs) We are. If you don't understand what the church is all about, you are not going to understand what a pastor is supposed to do. It, it is just the case. Now, it, it goes on to say, he's given us, he's given all that power and authority, which is in any way needful for their carrying on that order in worship and discipline which he hath instituted for them to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting and executing of that power. Close quote. Paragraphs like that don't just appear overnight. Men spend years digging through the scriptures, collating what the scriptures have to say, praying, crying out, fasting, saying, Lord, what does your word teach? There are some differences between Presbyterians and Baptists. There are some differences between Lutherans and Episcopalians. But if you have evangelical and regenerated people, you can find fellowship among any of those groups. Now, you might disagree very strongly about some of the things they practice, as they do with us. But you can, begin to, you can begin to recognize when someone loves Christ, wants Christ, not just a churchgoer. And they want to be with people that love Christ. It's so simple. I mean, some people hear this and they think, oh, gloom and doom just moved in the room. You know, it's like, no. It's like, Our flesh is so backwards as people start feeding us the truth. We stop going up, stop, no. (laughs) This has got to be a cult. I have a good friend that says, if you haven't been accused of being a cult at least two or three times, you're not a real church. (laughs) 
because they're so rare in this country. Well, we won't go there for right now. <clears throat> so this is an extremely, extremely powerful paragraph. We could spend a lot of time in our whole confession and this particular chapter. I urge you to read it regularly, regularly. <clears throat> God has given us authority to do what Jesus wants us to do. He's the head of the church. I didn't buy this church with my blood. He did. And I'm going to give account, uh, account for how I dealt with his blood-bought sheep. So I don't take this lightly. He ends this <clears throat> with those words for the do and right exerting and executing of that power. Let's just be honest. You know, I, I, until I really started studying scripture seriously and looking into these matters, I never thought of God's church with do and right, exerting and, uh, you know, it's, it sounds like a contract, which is interesting only to lawyers. So, what's my point? An elder has to understand this, and you need to understand it so that you can understand who needs to be an elder. Just because somebody's nice and comes and visits you in the hospital, any lost person can do that. And that's, I'm not attacking the idea. I mean, you know, it's wonderful. If somebody's in the hospital and they want to be visited, I know that there are those within the congregation. It's like, just let me lie there and be miserable. Don't come and visit me, you know. But there are those that want you to come and see them. And to go and do that is to give of yourself and to bless them. But you see, what our confession is talking about is that certain men are qualified by God's power to do the work of shepherding. And you need to understand what that shepherding involves and what it includes, at least in a minuscule uh, view. While there is much to say about this very rich paragraph, we focus on one aspect of it. To each of these churches thus gathered. How are they gathered? The mighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ falling upon sinners, drawing them out of darkness into his glorious light. And then he gathers them with others that he's done the same miracle on. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you to some people, like, uh, to some people today in, in our country, in the way they understand, quote, Christianity, I am speaking gibberish. You know, they said, what? We just come together. We just praise the Lord. No, you don't, unless you know who he is. And you're not praising him. Unless you're praising him the way his word says. We're ignorant. We need to be instructed in the truth. Well, God the Father gave all authority in heaven and earth to Christ the Son. Christ the Son wants all his congregations to walk under his authority in obedience to him, especially in his worship, the instruction of his disciples and their discipline. Hmm. Every parent here, every homeschooler, knows that discipline is an important matter. 
And by the way, discipline, unfortunately, and especially in, in some of the homeschool circles I've been in, <clears throat> when you use the word discipline, Uh, it usually simply means <clears throat> go to the bedroom or go to the room where you administer a lesson in friction. But that's, that's just a measure of it. Actually, it's the last part of discipline. The whole idea of disciple means learner. So discipline means learning. That's what it's supposed to mean. Not just <laughs> the instrument that you use to drive your points home. Right? Discipline means being instructed in what to do and how to do it. And so if you are being properly disciplined... You're learning the Word of God. You're learning how to read the Word of God. You're learning that the Word of God says many things that you never even really thought about. You're being told what it means to walk with God in holiness, what it means to commune with God, what it means for your heart and your soul to rise up and to unite with God in prayer and in praise and in thanksgiving. He wants wholehearted worship. Now, He gives power for that. Every person here that's regenerate has the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Same God who made the heavens and the earth. You can, by proper discipline, learning and instruction, learn how to worship God in ways that you never imagined. Learn how to pray in ways that you haven't thought. The whole point is to be like Jesus. That's the model. I don't want anybody to be like me. How dare the thought even come up? We're here to be like Jesus. But he appoints certain men to do the preaching and teaching and to oversee the discipline. It's not always joyful. But sometimes it is the very greatest joy. So, how do we know what God commands? His word. Now we're just about to the point that I want to work to. The composition and government of a biblical congregation. Paragraph 8, you'll see it right there. A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists, you notice that, re that repeating phrase, according to his mind, according to his mind. His mind, not my mind, not your mind. His mind. <clears throat> a particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members and the officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church. Notice that. That's a great sentence. And the officers appointed by Christ, appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church. They have to be instructed how to do that, how to recognize who that is. The officers appointed by Christ to be chosen and set apart by the church, so-called and gathered, for the peculiar administration of ordinances. 
commanded by Christ, an execution of power or duty which he entrusts them with or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world are bishops or elders or deacons. That's it. No popes. No archbishops. Doesn't exist in the scriptures. There would be those that would vehemently argue with that, I understand. <clears throat> this is in the study of the word what seems to be actually obvious and simple. The execution of power or duty which he entrusts with them or calls them to, to be continued to the end of the world. The churches will be here until Christ returns. And they should be being taught how to walk with Christ. Of course, we're calling sinners to salvation. But we are here to teach God's people how to walk in his order. Each word here in that paragraph is really important. And each thought is revealed clearly in Scripture or is uh, derived from a principle that is legitimate. First, we see the emphasis on the local church in the term a particular church. This is a particular church. You can go a few blocks and you'll find particular churches here and there. Baptists and Congregationalists have always held firmly to the principle of the local assembly, a local gathered congregation. Though we agree that there is an aspect of the church that we may recognize as universal, the only church with which we will ever work out our salvation with fear and trembling is in a gathered congregation. And that's precisely what we're each supposed to do. Unite myself to a local congregation and learn how to walk with Christ in it. If they're not teaching me how to walk with Christ in it, I need to go looking for another place. Praying, fasting, asking the Lord to show us how to walk with the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> so, when the, the, the words completely organized are, are important as well. Our forefathers fathers were pointing out here that this and this alone was the composition of a biblical local church, officers and members. Now, some people, I mean, especially Baptists, uh, we've got plenty. Uh, Baptists can argue about virtually everything, and, uh, and they do. But we as a people, in our scouring of the scriptures, have found if you if you don't like the word officers, then you can say leaders and members. All right. <clears throat> but the point of the fact, the point of the matter is by the scripture points out those who rule. And they're called shepherds, they're called bishops, they're called elders, they're called pastors. This is the testimony of scripture. That's why it's the mind of Christ. The way of appointing elders and deacons, very simple. Paragraph 9, the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit under the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself and solemnly set apart by fasting and prayer with imposition of hands of the eldership of the church. I was... Saddened and delighted beyond words as I was going through some old pictures and found, uh, I just ran into it, was the, the picture of the day that Pastor Clarence 
was installed as an elder. And what joy that was. There had been praying. There had been fasting. At least on the part of some. And uh, then there was the laying on of hands. Now. It says. It's the imposition of the hands of the eldership of the church. If there be any constituted therein. It could be that there are. Uh, There's one or two uh, elders and both of them pass away. Uh, And then, oh, it's not a church anymore. Yes, it is. It's just an incomplete church. It just needs, it needs the teaching ministry of and preaching ministry of the word. So same thing is said about uh, deacons of the deacon. He that be chosen by the like suffrage or voting and set apart by prayer and the like imposition of hands. All right, now, number 10, and we'll see if I can make it to the summary. The primary work of Christ, the head, through a church's government. That's what paragraph 10 is all about. Now, again, if you read our confession carefully, they've done what they can to put together a really beautiful um, order of, of how all of this works. If you look at paragraph you know, five, it actually blends into number six, which blends into number seven. They're all working together if, if you watch and pay attention. So the primary work of Christ the head through the church's government. Here it is. The work of pastors being constantly to attend the service of Christ in his churches. Constantly to attend the service of Christ in his churches, in the ministry of the word and prayer, with watching for their souls as they that must give an account to him. That will sound familiar to you. It comes directly from Hebrews. It is incumbent on the churches to whom they minister, not only to give them all due respect, but also to communicate to them of all their good things according to their ability, so as they may have a comfortable supply without being themselves entangled in the secular affairs and may also be capable of exercising hospitality towards others, because that's one of the required qualifications is opening your home to others. And this is required by the law of nature and by the express order of our Lord Jesus, who hath ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Don't want to address anything in that paragraph except this. The work of the pastor. The work of the pastor to attend the service of Christ in his churches in the ministry of word and prayer. Word and prayer. Word and prayer. That's a very serious calling. The Lord gives you an infallible word and you know without any hesitation you yourself are fallible. It is the ministry, the ministry of God's word. That's the authority in Christ's church. He's the head and the authority is seen in his word. Word. 
Pastors, therefore, are to be men of the word. Not just guys who like to study the Bible. I've seen those kind of guys go into seminary, go out and quit the pastorate in the first three years. You know, because it's it's not just about, oh, I get to study. It's about overseeing God's beloved people. And they're still sinners, just like you are. There's still sin in that flesh. <clears throat> That's why the operating principle in a congregation ought to be grace toward one another, love toward one another, and Christ. Love toward Christ and one another. That's the order. So, <clears throat> because uh, you're going to have people sitting on the pew with you dis- disagree about things. You're going to have to work things out. People are going to sin. Sometimes it takes them a month, a year, a decade to actually come to their r- reasoning and understand how they've sinned. <clears throat> so the primary work of Christ the head through the church government is the preaching of the word and the prayer life of the elders. Well, I'm going to take five more minutes and try to hit this summary because I don't want you to leave without these thoughts. We've looked at the church. We've spent some time running through really quickly, but just to lay out, this is an enormous task. It's an enormous task. In fact, it's an impossible task without the Holy Spirit and without being called by God to do it. My first experience with this kind of thing was a really, 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 really smart guy in a church that I was in 35, 40 years ago. I mean, smart, smartest guy in the room. He could pick up a book, read it, it all went in. He could remember all of it. He could spit it all back out. I mean, sharp as he could be. And and everybody in the church, including the the pastor, said, "Oh yeah, man, you know, man, you ought to go to seminary. You know, you you would make a great pastor." Blah 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 blah. And he believed all that. And so he went. He got his degree. And he pastored for a couple of years. And then I saw him back at the church. I said, oh, hey, are you back for a visit? And he said, no. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I left the ministry. He said, I'm not cut out for that. He wanted to preach, but it's not just preaching. You've got to deal with ugly stuff all the time. You've got to deal with your own failures, know how to do that, and to deal with others in a Christ-like manner. Mm. So these are important things beyond our ability to fully grasp. But I just want to summarize what all of this means so far. Christ Jesus, the God-man, came into this world to save sinners. He prayed, he preached, and he worked miracles to affirm his mission. Jesus died upon Calvary's cross and rose again from the dead to save his people from their sins. And part of the Father's eternal purpose of redemption was for Jesus to inaugurate the new covenant 
in his blood to initiate his new covenant people and to establish the kingdom of God. He saves and gathers his people in communities called churches. As the head of the church, he authorized the apostles to go into the world, preach the gospel, establish churches, teach the nations to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were also to establish elders in every church to extend the authority of Christ and to mature believers in faith. For that reason, Jesus said, I will build my church. This is how he's doing it. It's being done better in some places, but this is how it's happening here. And Paul said to the Ephesians, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. In whom also ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. God came down to the Garden of Eden. But he threw Adam and Eve out because of their sin. But he raised up men, giving them covenant promises. Telling them that he was with them. And then he said, now I want you to build a tabernacle. And he traveled with them through the wilderness. And then when he said, now I'm going to give you the land. And here's the land. Here's the place. Here's the city. Build the temple. And my presence is going to be there. What's the point? Everywhere in every age, God wants to be with his people. And he's with them. And where is he today? In his churches. That's the temple of God. And that's what we need to be taught. That's why how we act, how we live, what we think, what we do matters. We are being builded together for the habitation of God. This, and for every regenerate person, this is God's address. He lives in his people. So, overseeing those people is the work that's been given to elders, pastors, bishops. <clears throat> now, we'll, we'll take this up next week. We will look a little bit more about the importance of preaching. And then we will think about praying. And then we'll move into the qualifications themselves. Brethren, this is a sober matter. It's a joyful matter. It's a wonderful matter, but it's one that we walk cautiously in because it's God's business. It's not about, hey, how about I got a good idea? It's not about that. Now, there are times when we need that. Let's be clear. But it must be done God's way. It must be done in a way that brings glory to his name, brings order to his church and feeds the flock of God. And may God help us with what we have had today. May we think about it. Hope it takes up some time of your, your lunch discussions. Think about what it means to be a church of Jesus Christ and what elders are supposed to be in that context. Let's pray.
Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. These are your people. I know you love them. I pray that each of us understands something about that great love and the fact that thou dost save us and compact us together to hold on to the head, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, protect every soul here from my errors and bring them the pure word of life clearly that they may learn how to walk with thee and bring thee glory. Oh, God, as we pray for another elder, we pray that with confidence that you're preparing him or them even now. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Let us not be governed by the flesh. Let us walk according to thy truth, keeping our eyes upon thee. In Jesus' name, amen.